Hey, this is Brennan from the Future Sickos podcast. I enjoy watching hockey, but I also enjoy winning money watching hockey. If you would like to have the chance of winning thousands of dollars every week, sign up for DraftKings account using promo code THPN. What is up, Future Sickos listeners? Welcome to episode 15, where I am joined by my co-host, Derek Lee. How are you doing today, Derek? I'm doing excellent. How are you? I'm doing well. I just came back from another little vision quest in the woods. It's going to be my last one, I think, uh, for the summer now that it's wrapping up a little bit. But had a little backpack uh, backpacking trip through Tobermory, and it was it was phenomenal. It was great. I had a, a poison ivy outbreak like right before I went, so I didn't know how I was going to react to that. But I figured what better way than to get right back into the woods. Uh, yeah, that seems like not a very good idea, but I'm glad it worked out for you anyway. Poison Ivy. I can't say that I've ever had it, but I don't know that I'm like trekking nine kilometers through the woods like you are. Well, it's funny. I was so I was like on an island for a few days, like with some friends in uh, like in Bon Echo. So actually just outside of like Belleville, Kingston area. And uh, when I was there, like I I don't think like I I was perfectly fine, like didn't have any reaction. And then I was back and I went golfing a couple of times at like a municipal course in town. And there was an area like an out of bounds stake. And I saw like nine golf balls sitting there. And I mean, like with at the rate I go through golf balls, I was like, I could probably use these. So I decided to just reach my arm right on in there. And then about like three days later, I had a nice little rash breaking out, but I was honestly pretty fortunate. Like it spread a little bit, like I had it on my foot and whatnot. And like, my like the big thing is that your immune system can really kind of like react to it and like i was pretty fortunate that i only had like a day or two where where that was the case and I, my body seemed to handle it pretty well so i i honestly like i i feel like i got pretty lucky given the circumstances probably gonna be a lot worse but next time i think i'm just gonna opt to to pay for those lost golf balls because that <laughs> definitely was not worth it not at all. And, you know, usually golf courses, if they know they have poison ivy, they have signs up kind of telling you or someone will tell you before you go. Uh, obviously, this wasn't the case this time. Oh, there was a red stake there dir- directly oh. there. And I I mean, that was probably <laughs> a pretty good indication. I think red typically means danger. But I, I, I thought maybe they were just trying to hold on to their golf balls. I thought, I thought they didn't want me to come on to something here. There you go. But but the uh, the moral of the story and the, the more important thing, I guess, as it pertains to today, definitely, um, you know, it, there's a lot that can be said about getting outside for your mental health. And I think, you know, that's something that obviously you love the outdoors. Um, but I think I'm right with you there. And that's something that I do personally for, uh, for my mental health, but, uh, it sounds like you do the same stuff. You know what? I, I think that that's a, a really awesome thing to touch on. And, um, I, I think also something that kind of needs to be applauded a little bit is like breaks from social media. I know that like, I have a lot of fun on Twitter. Like I genuinely do. And I, I know that you're the same. I know that we love talking about our team. I know that we obviously enjoy doing this podcast or else we wouldn't do it. And that's the only reason we do it. It's definitely not for the little bit of funds that we might garner from it. Um, so so I know that, um, th- that, that we're kind of in the same boat there. But at the end of the day, e- even things like that can kind of be exhausting. And just finding the opportunity to really like unplug from that side of the world and especially during COVID, because I think that it's really just become something that 
we're so submerged in. It's like you, you just like I, I catch myself all the time just mindlessly scrolling through Twitter, mindlessly scroll scrolling through Instagram and whatnot, and kind of being able to break those habits by changing up what your day to day looks like and going outside and doing different things and engaging in those activities. I I think it's the the best possible thing you can, and um, I, at least I know that for me. And I know as the winter comes along, it definitely gets a little more challenging, and I definitely feel for people like that. Um, that, that have more difficulty with it. And I know that the Sens and hockey as a whole can be a really great outlet to kind of dive yourself into um, w- while you might be facing different struggles. I know for myself, that's something that I definitely do to, to keep myself busy. But um, yeah, moral of the story is you got you to gotta find things to keep busy and getting outside is is so important for that and so important for mental health. And I, I really do, um, I mean, I encourage anyone that I talk to you. I know like I'm really lucky in the place that I work that like my, my boss is like at the forefront of what they want to do. Even like anytime I have a meeting, it's, we start off with like a walk or a cross country ski in the winter. We go for a run, lucky to work with some pretty great people who I'm really close with, but, but yeah, like that's uh, I'm, I'm all about that. And I know you are as well. And I, whether it be tennis, golf, whatever it may be, and, and just being active and getting outside is just, it's so, it's so important. No, absolutely, and uh, and the breaks are equally important that you uh, that you noted, but uh, but you know if we uh, if we go back to some of the fan questions that we had, uh, keep in mind these questions are from a couple of weeks ago. We said that we would cover them. We have a whole bunch to go through, Brennan. So um, I'd love to chat uh, mental health another time, and and quite frankly, I could probably chat about that all day with you because that is my profession, but. Uh, but let's get into the stuff that people came to listen to. Let's get into your questions. So uh, let's kick things off right away. LFG Sends has a, a projection totals for the season. So he says project a senator for each of these categories this season. So let's start off right here with most points. And I'll give you the, the history. So 2021, Brady Kachuk led the team with 36 points. However... Closely behind uh, Kachuk was Connor Brown and Josh Norris tied at 35. Batherson, 34 points. Shabbat, 31. Timmy, 29. I mean, you could literally draw one of these names out of a hat, Brennan. Um, Who are you taking for this season as your points leader? My points leader for the 2021-2022 Ottawa Senators is Drake Batherson. And my reason for that is that every, every single year he seems to approve. And I know that that is the case for a lot of these players. And I know that Josh Norris is kind of on that very, very similar trajectory because we saw both of them just absolutely dominate in Belleville and they came to Ottawa and they didn't really seem to miss a beat, but I think that Drake uh, comes off that contract kind of that's, that's behind him now. I know that there was times last year where he was a bit inconsistent. And I think that that's obviously not a new thing for rookie players being inconsistent. I feel like that is a very common thing for young players. And I think that he gets a little bit more into his groove. He's a bit older than Josh. So I think that that kind of works to his advantage and he's able to kind of become more of a uh, well-rounded point producer, but as well as goal scorer. And I know that um, listening to Pierre Dorian, he's very high on him potentially scoring 30, 35 to maybe 40 goals if he decided to shoot the puck more. So I I think that Batherson's a safe bet there. I think that he is going to get exposure potentially with, well, we know he's going to get exposure with Norris and Brady, but he could also get exposure on that second line as well. And if that line gets going, he kind of gets moved around the lineup a bit. It it could be an interesting thing to kind of see it keep going. So Drake's my pick. And I would say if he plays a full 82 games, he'd be around uh, the, the 60 point mark is what I'll go in at. Crazy, crazy, Brennan. Um, and I say crazy because I had this like 
basically pre-noted in my head. I went through these questions and my pick was Drake Batherson. Um, so out of, you know, the possible like six different names, we both come up with the same name uh, for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned. I mean, Batherson improves every year. He's done that ever since he entered the American Hockey League. Um, so he just continues to get better and better. He trains like no other person in the offseason with some of the best players in the entire NHL. So he spends his offseason busy training. We've already had reports saying that Batherson looks like he's in phenomenal shape. And I know those things are a little bit cringy. They come out, you know, every preseason as this guy's in unbelievable shape. Or, you know, Phil Kessel looks like he's, you know, two cheeseburgers heavier, whatever. The, That's the a report I'm be. always getting about myself, but it's fine. We right. always get that headline. Yeah, I know. We never get the good ones, right? Uh, but yeah, Drake Batherson is is my pick as well. And I have him right around 60, 65 points. I thought about that as well. Uh, I'll take the high end and go 65 because I think there will be a grouping right around and near 60 points um, on this team. So I, I do think they have some offensive firepower. And speaking of offensive uh, firepower, the next category is goals. So uh, 2021 leader in goals was Connor Brown with 21 and second uh, trailing Brown was three players, Brady, Batherson, and Norris, all with 17. Now, Connor Brown, a little bit of an outlier for the, the goal-scoring lead on the team. He just got really, really hot last season. Um, so you might see that as a one-off, but no disrespect to Connor Brown. That 21-goal projection is good enough for 30 goals over an 82-game season. That would be a phenomenal year if Connor Brown is anywhere near that. I'd be super impressed, but... Uh, who is your pick for 21-22 in goals? My boy is the the handsome, handsome Josh Norris. I I, I think it just it, it he has such an underrated shot. And I think that this is the year that NHL netminders, people, all players around the league, fans around the league start to realize how much they're gonna have to watch his shot because I think that he Ottawa playing in the north last year. There's a lot of teams obviously that we didn't get to play against. So I think that some of these players might not be very well recognized when we kind of roll into games because they're rookies and you know they're just not as well recognized but i i know that norris's shot was extremely dominant when he was in belleville it, it was a pleasure to watch it's an absolute cannon and i think that with a bigger role on the power play that's just going to continue to get utilized he has an absolute laser and i think he's just going to be given even more of an opportunity this year i mean obviously last year he was thrown into a first line center role which is incredible because he didn't drown in it which, which I think is, is speaks volumes to him. But I think it also speaks volumes to his defensive ability. And I think that that was something that he probably had to put a major focus on last year. And he really needed to pay attention to playing good defense to be able to earn that number one center spot. In my opinion, he definitely did it. He, he looked incredible. He looked extremely two-way. And with that, kind of as he develops his game even more in that NHL level, I think we're going to start to see all of those skills kind of translate and playing on the line with Brady Kachuk, who we know they've had chemistry. They played together since their USHL, like on, on the U17 team together. And then Jake Batherson, who, I mean, I know he has a can of a shot, but I also think he's turned into a hell of a playmaker. Uh, I think that on that line, uh, Norris can really utilize his shot in the slot um, as well as from the high circle, low circle, wherever it may be. And I, I could see him playing up 30 goals this season, especially if he is playing on that number one power play consistently in that spot. Yeah, good, good pick. Um, you could definitely, again, make a case for a number of guys here. 
Um, I'm going to go with Brady Kachuk on this one. I'm going to go with the future captain. I just think he just puts up so many shots every year that it's almost bound to, to happen that he's going to lead the team in goals at least one of these years. I think he's capable of scoring, you know, 30 or more goals every season. I think that's, you know, part of his, his capabilities. I know we don't really look at Brady Kachuk as the highest sort of point projection guy on the team. Uh, but I think when it comes to scoring goals, I, I can definitely see Brady Kachuk with just the sheer volume alone and the garbage goals that he scores. Um, that That's my reasoning based on on picking Brady over some of these other guys. And I think it'll be a really tight race. No, I, I, I do want to say that that that's an excellent point. And it really is just a matter of time that that shot, like that shooting percentage just improves because like really, and especially when there's more weapons on the ice and, and more uh, other items that teams are going to have to pay attention to. Um, it, it, yeah, it's there's a lot of logic there and I like it, but we'll, we'll see. Absolutely. Uh, so the, the next category is uh, penalty minutes. Most PIMS 2021, not a surprise here. It was Brady Kachuk with uh, 67, though. Uh, so if you look at the projected rate, um, 67, he had 106 the year previous. So 67 amounts to, I think, about 83, 84, uh, maybe a little bit higher than that. So he came down significantly in penalty minutes. Uh, second on the team, though, way below him was Austin Watson with 40. Um, however, if you look at the games played, Austin Watson only played in 34 games. So Based on 56 games, he'd be close to Brady Kachuk at 65. Kachuk had 67. Uh, I don't think they want Kachuk taking as many penalties, but because um, because you want your your captain, your leader on the ice. But uh, what's your take on this, Brennan? Yeah, no, I, it, for that exact reason, like it, it is a bit of a question mark there. You have to wonder if uh, if Brady's penalty total comes down because I mean he's our captain, he's turning into a, a star in the NHL. You you don't want him to be <laughs> the the guy who's in the penalty box the most. With that being said, I still think he is. He plays that game with such a tight edge, and that's the way he plays his game. And I don't think they're gonna tell Brady Kachuk to not play like Brady Kachuk. I think at the end of the day, the way that he plays the game does more good than it does harm. And I think a byproduct of that is, is a lot of penalty minutes. And um, I, I think that he, his totals might come down and it's definitely possible that him and Wadi are, are real, real close there because maybe Watson gets a bit of a expanded role as well as he's kind of proven his value for the team. But, but through and through, I think that that's still Brady Kachuk. He gets, a lot of ice time and uh, he, he, he plays that game. He's always in everyone's face. And I, I think it's just kind of inevitable that he's going to get called. But at the end of the day, he also draws probably as many, if not more penalties than he takes. So I, I'm okay with it. And I, I think that that uh, award is going <laughs> to, is going to be Brady's at the end of the year. Yeah. I, I I'm not going to disagree with anything you said, it, you know, I'll, although I think they don't want Brady Kachuk fighting very much if, if at all, um, so you could see it, but he gets a lot more ice time than someone like Austin Watson. So it's just, it's a little bit more realistic to suggest that, uh, Brady Kachuk will probably lead again in uh, penalty minutes and hopefully he could stay right around the, the same, uh, PIMS last year. Cause I think he drew a lot more penalties than he took. Um, if I'm not mistaken, that ratio, that ratio was pretty good. He drew a whole lot of penalties last season. So if he can continue on that pace, I mean, that's that's pretty good. So uh, quality penalty minutes that you get out of Brady Kachuk because a lot of the times it's, you know, scrappiness in front, getting in other people's heads. Um, that's sort of his MO. And and yeah, you're not going to ask Brady Kachuk to not be Brady Kachuk. That's literally your team identity. So 
Brady Kachuk's going to lead the way again. Uh, I think that's uh, that's a conclusion in in my head. Um, the next category is shorthanded goals. Um, last year it was one sided. Uh, Connor Brown led the entire league with five. So uh, yeah, he ran away with it. Second was uh, Formanton and then Nick Paul, and they both had one. Um, so Connor Brown led with five. Is it is it Connor Brown again? Is that an easy choice for you? Yeah, like it's a tough one. I, I think it's either between him and Formington. Like Formington seems to get a breakaway every game, and quite often it seems to be on the penalty kill. And I think that if he's able to just kind of convert a little more often, even if it's on half those chances, as opposed to it seems like maybe one fifth, um, I, I think that we could really see his point total climb to be like a 20, 25 goal scorer in the NHL. So I, I'm going to pick Formington for it. He has the speed and he has the upside. So I, I like to gamble and I'll choose forms for it. But I think the safe pick is probably Connor Brown. Yeah, I'm gonna take. I'll take the safety pick, but I do, I do think Formington is capable of putting up a lot more. Of course, the five goals are based on again fifty-six games, so that's a huge clip. I don't expect Connor Brown to lead the league in shorthanded goals, although, you know, even at the end of the season, like it just seemed like he was getting chance after chance shorthanded. Like every every time Ottawa was shorthanded, I was like, man, it's almost a benefit to be shorthanded as opposed to being on the power play. Like they led the league in shorthanded goals last season it, it's a huge shocker for a team that struggled so much uh with within special teams last year so i'll take the safe choice i'll take connor brown again i think he's figured something out he reads plays really well uh especially that pass coming across from uh from blue line to blue line um he he reads that play really well he can cut that off and i think formanton he'll get there too he's got that speed um he would definitely be my second choice but i'll take the safe safe pick uh, most power play goals next season. Um, last year, maybe a bit of a surprise, but uh, it surprised me when I looked into it. But it was Josh Norris that led with six. Um, second, Brady Batherson had five. Timmy had four. Uh, who's going to lead in power play goals, Brennan? I'm going to right back to Josh Norris again. I think the fact that he led last year with without being um, cemented on that power play for the entire season is, is enough proof that he can do it again in, in a larger role. And I, I genuinely see him just kind of blow, like uh, finding his groove there, just continuing to do what he wa- does well. He has an elite shot, in my opinion. Like I genuinely do. He has a shot that can beat goalies clean. And I think that if they don't bring in another weapon in terms of someone with a shot like that, I know that like him, Drake, Drake does as well. And we've seen what Timmy Stutzel can do as well. And I mean, we can get into his whatever he's been doing to to be putting on uh, that muscle. But his his shot might be going through nets at this point. He's out there looking like a Adonis. But, uh, but I mean, I, at the end of the day, like I, I do think it's going to be Josh Norris. I have him putting up the more, most goals this year. And I think that a good amount of those are going to come on the power play. Yeah. He'll definitely be a go-to guy on that right circle. I think I'm going to flip it over to the other side on the left side. And I'm going to go with, uh, with the kid with Timmy. I think uh, Stutzla, he just has an elite shot. And I think it it's just uh, he had some bad luck last year, like particularly against the Canadians. Every time he was playing Carey Price, it seemed like he hit the crossbar and post like a hundred times or Carey Price just made like a stupid save. So uh, I could see Timmy on the power play with that cannon release. It's a quick release. And if you've seen pictures of him recently, like that dude looks jacked. He looks like he's on another level. He looks like his, he took his training to a whole nother level. You know, he could be right at the top of all of these categories or most of these categories aside from uh, PIMS and shorthanded goals, but uh, a lot of the offensive output, you know, he's a kid that's, he's capable at 19 years 
leading the senators in all of those categories. So I got to pick him somewhere. I'm going to take him on, on the power play. I think he'll, he'll become a go-to guy. It looks like he's on like the Arnold Schwarzenegger workout routine right now. It's absolutely insane. He's chiseled. I don't think that guy's had a carb since 08. He like, <laughs> you could do my laundry off of his, off of his stomach. And I mean, I'm not trying to make a weird, I'm just a little impressed. Timmy Stu. Let's move on no, to the no. next next question absolutely <laughs> sorry brian I, I just wanted to no no, no all good let's you gotta quickly let's admire shout it. out uh <laughs> gotta quickly shout out the the suits that they were wearing him and shabbat because holy geez i don't know if you had a chance to look at that um but yeah they were rocking timmy had an all black suit i mean looked phenomenal and uh shabbat went with like a little bit of a blue steel look it looked uh looked really good but they were looking sharp no, they're they're looking absolutely. I I I think Tim's like he might be a secret agent. This could be this could be what's truly going on. He, he has a career in it. If if the hockey thing doesn't work out, but I got a feeling it's going to. Um, and with that being said, I, I Shabbat looks like he might have a career in art. I don't know if you saw his rendition of the Ottawa Senators logo, but my <laughs> my goodness, I'm hoping yeah. that they start printing that on jerseys because I, I know our 2D logo not, now is is pretty nice, but. <laughs> whatever the hell that was that, yeah, that needs to be publicized like uh brian five or six uh logo <laughs> i think it was a little inspired i think yeah. it was yeah something there by by hot sam um so moving on to the next question for von ttv he's wondering if he, well he's saying there's no way we go into training camp looking like this so i guess my question is when will a move be made what's your thoughts yeah. derek yeah, this is something that we've talked about for a while. And you know what? Like, um, if it was a couple of weeks ago, I probably would have said the same thing. Like, I, actually, I probably did say the same thing. I said there's no way the Senators go into the season with Pinto as their number two center and a hole on the right wing. Um, but now, um, you know, my thoughts have shifted a little bit. And a lot of that is because of the buzz around Sokolov. I, I told you before the show, we'd probably get into him. And I think this is a good time to get into Sokolov because that hole, that foreseeable hole in the right wing, when you look at it, I mean, three guys in particular could battle for that spot. And I think Sokolov is definitely at the forefront of that battle. I think, you know, the, the team really, really likes this guy. Obviously, the fan base has already fallen in love with the player who's never played a single game for the Ottawa Senators. Um, but yeah, uh, Igor Sokolov is to me, the reason that you don't really necessarily have to go out and make a trade. Although, I mean, we will say that even in Pierre Dorian's most recent media appearance, uh, like last week, he still said there's irons in the fire. I mean, he likes to use that quote, right? But um, but he's saying there's irons in the fire. So could there potentially be a move made? Yes, but I don't think it's as necessary as I did think it was. I'd like to see maybe a little bit of internal competition, see how things play out in the first, you know, few weeks of the regular season and then reassess. Yeah, I think I, I love what you said about Soko. Like he definitely deserves some recognition. It sounds like he has come in and demanded a job. I, I love the comparison to Mark Stone, um, especially considering I'm pretty sure that's the pick that was used to acquire Sokolov. So even if he's a poor man's Mark Stone, we'll love him. And he's already better in the media than Mark Stone was as much as I love Mark Stone as a person, yeah, love him as a player. Soko's just got that natural charisma. Um, so, so no, I, I, I absolutely love that. And I think it, he might be definitely making his case for potentially filling in that right wing spot. I do, I do think that the team is interested in 
in bringing someone in. I, I, I think that they know that whether it be that top, uh, like a top six center, a top six right wing sounds like it's a little more what they're shopping for right now, a little more kind of what, what they're looking at. Um, but, but I honestly, I, I feel like the prices might have just been too high. I mean, we saw what the re- return came in for Christian Dvorak. We're seeing kind of what the rumored ass are for Thomas Hurdle. We've obviously heard a few things about Jack Eichel and what, what could potentially be going out there. But I really wonder if Pierre Dorian's just kind of waiting and he's just staying patient. He's like, you know what? Like you're asking for all these assets. And I mean, I have them, but do we really need to give all of them up for one guy? Because that's a little overvalued. And I, I think Pierre, one thing he does know is a thing or two about trade negotiations because he's been in a lot of them and he's been on the opposite side of them. And he also understands how leverage works, I think. And um, he's gone through that whole process. So maybe that's kind of giving him a bit of insight. And he's thinking, hey, we're going to wait until training camp starts when these players who want to be moved haven't been moved. And all of a sudden it becomes a little awkward for the team. Or maybe other teams kind of realize, hey, we have these young guys who are coming in and they're ready to fill these these roles and these older vet type kind of players that are top six players still all of a sudden become expendable. And uh, I, I think we're looking for, like, I think Pierre might be holding off for a bit of a lower price tag on some of these guys in terms of trade assets. And I think that that makes complete sense. So I think if we do see a move because we're not able to fill those holes internally, I think it, it happens around training camp or a little bit after training camp. I, I think that that's kind of when you start to see some buzz around teams. They kind of realize what they have, what they're working with. And, you know, like it's hard to go much longer than that without making a move. So I would say maybe maybe during training camp and b- before the beginning of the season or even maybe into the first few games of the season, we see a trade happen if we still need to make that trade, which I, I, I do think we're, we're going to be looking for a player in the top six, if I'm being honest. Yeah, most likely. I mean, the other sort of short-term solution option would be, you know, getting a PTO like a Tyler Bozak or someone that's still out there to come and try out for the team and see if, you know, the players that you deem ready, like the Sokolovs of the world, are actually ready over this other experienced NHL player. And if, you know, I know I know they've went that route in the past and people don't like it, but um, but that's another option. It's it's an option that's out there. I don't know if it's my favorite option. I, I think there's enough internal competition that you're not going to say you handed the position to Sokolov or handed the position to someone else, Yarventi or, you know, whoever ends up battling hard enough in, in camp for that position. Um, Crookshank's another one that, uh, you know, could potentially take that spot. I know the team's really impressed with him. Um, I think he was quoted today saying he likes to model his game after, uh, uh, Brennan Gallagher, which is uh, super cool because, you know, it, it fits it, again. It fits the model. It fits the senators in exactly what they're trying to do and, and be a, a pain in the ass team to play against. Um, so the next I, just on that is, note as well, something sorry, something I, ju- I just wanted to bring up is like on that is if Drake Batherson comes to camp and he proves that he's a top top right wing already a top a top line right wing already. All of a sudden, I don't know if we have a hole at right wing. And the reason that I say that is I don't know that Sokolov can come in and, and Sokolov can come in and be a first or second line right wing. But I do think he could be a third line right wing if he's ready. And, and I know Connor Brown is at least a second line right wing. So all of a sudden, if we have Batherson and Brown in those slots, I, I don't know that it's as necessary as, as it might appear. I, I think that center is 
the area that that should really be focused on. But yeah, th that kind of just feeds into my old points. But I, I just I just kind of want to bring that up because I know that there there has been a lot of okay, well, what are they going to do? But Batherson could be ready for that role, and if he is, our, our top six on the right side isn't looking that bad. No, absolutely. And we will get into the center uh, position, that specifically that second line center position in a little bit. Um, the next question coming in uh, is from Dave. Uh, do you think the upcoming election might affect fans in the Sands this upcoming season with COVID-19? Um, the, the one thing I'll say, I think Dave actually got back to me and said to leave the election or political part out of that. So I apologize for asking the question, but but I think we can answer it in in... You know, we can answer it anyway. Do I do I think the election's gonna impact the fans in the stands? No, I think you know the only thing that's gonna impact that is COVID nineteen, and we already have safety protocols in place. We know you know what to expect now with people being double vaccinated um, that are allowed to attend games, and and I tend to agree with uh, those safety protocols that are in place. Well, I think you know personally, I think it's important to get vaccinated. Um, but you know, that's just my stance on it and, and we don't have to get super political here, but, um, but Brennan, what, what do you think? Do you think the election could have an implication on fans in the stands? No, I don't because it's a provincial decision. Uh, like it, it I, I think that because, um, what, what our province has decided and, um, I mean, it's, it's clear that it, it it's looking now like, well, I mean, it's a, a, essentially being confirmed that Ottawa yeah. will have full capacity once the Sens play Toronto for their home opener and that double vaccinations are required to be able to attend the games. And that's not going to change because Doug Ford's not up for election. It's their prime minister that's up for election. So, so no, I, I don't think it will have any impact on it. And I agree. I think the only thing that could possibly impact that is if COVID continues to go on. But one thing I will say is for any sense fans who are in the area or, or looking to go to the game, buckle up because the times here, I think that that the, the arena is going to be absolutely electric. There's so many people who haven't had the chance to see so many of these players play. And now we're going to be given the opportunity to go check them out. And I know that all of us are so hungry to get back to some sense of normalcy. And this is going to be a great sense of it to be able to go and watch a live hockey game. Like, man, <laughs> like I, I can't think of something better, especially these kids. They're, it's so exciting. Like I was standing up watching it on my TV last year, let alone being in an arena and seeing it. And I mean, like, I'm not even like, I, I like baseball. I don't mind having it on in the background while I'm doing something, but I went to a couple blue Jays games this year and I was, I was over the moon about it. And um, I, I would love to get to a bills game. And I don't think that's going to be possible, unfortunately, unless the borders open up. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think rightfully so. The double vax policy is in place. I, I think if I'm going to a game, I want it to be in place. Uh, I've uh, I, I mean, th that's how I feel. And I am extremely excited for the fact that the Ottawa Senators will be at full capacity when they play the Toronto Maple Leafs on opening night. Yeah. And, and just quickly to be to be fair to Dave, when he asked the question, um, we didn't have all the details at the time. These are questions from a couple of weeks ago that we're just getting to now. So um, so you'll see that a, a few of the questions will have to sort of reframe um, a little bit to to make them applicable to now. And uh, and another apology to Dave, because I think I'm pretty sure he redacted the question um, after he sent it out. But uh, but we covered it anyway. Uh, the next one is from Dragon Quest. Um, I'm sure you've heard that Dave Cameron is coaching the 67s. Thoughts on him being named the new head coach of the Ottawa 67s? 
No, I think it's great. I mean, he has a long history of being a coach. He's definitely gone through some ups and downs. And I, I think he had a very uh, small cup of coffee with, with the Ottawa Senators when he came up. And there was high expectations for him, and he didn't deliver on it. And, I, and you brought up before the show the infamous Matt O'Connor start, <laughs> and uh, yeah. w- w- which apparently cost him his job. So hopefully he learns from that in Ottawa and, and <laughs> decides to go with his true number one. But um, but no, I, I mean, I, I think that he's a guy with a wealth of experience and I think he could do extremely well with the 67s. It's an extremely successful organization. We saw that mm. for the last few years, not even just last year. Like it's been ongoing. Like I definitely didn't see it last year because they didn't play, but like it's, it's been ongoing for, for some time and it'll be really interesting to see what he does there and who knows what it might lead to in, in the future. But, um, but no, I, I think, I think he's a great fit for the job and excited to see what happens. Yeah, basically just second everything that you said. I think the wealth of experience will play a huge part. I mean, the guys, he's coached in the OHL before plenty of times. He's been a very successful coach in the OHL before. Um, As we said, it it was actually a Melnick quote um, from when they let Dave Cameron go um, from the the Matt O'Connor thing. That was the one thing he sort of said was, I guess, the tip of the iceberg or whatever he said. Um, for letting Cameron go but um, you know his tenure in Ottawa wasn't great but it was pretty successful 70 50 and 12 something like that um, along those lines very similar anyway Um, so yeah he he was a a pretty successful NHL coach I think he was a bit of a players coach too Uh, I don't remember the the players disliking playing for Cameron he was only you know head coach for a short period of time but uh, but he was successful in doing so. And, you know, maybe one day he'll make his way back to the NHL. You got to give it to guys like that, that just continue to keep going and continue to kind of find their ways around a bunch of different teams. I mean, he was even fired from Binghamton for be, having the worst record in the AHL before uh, returned five years later as the, as the coach of the Ottawa Senators, which is kind of crazy to think about, but um, it, relentless. And, you know, like the, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. You, you take a lot of shit as a head coach of any hockey team, wh- whether it be 16 year olds that you're coaching at like a single A level or, or coaching the Ottawa Senators. So good for him for staying with it yeah i think the other thing to add is that like pierre dorian i think was general manager for two days or something like that when they let dave cameron go so it's like as soon as dorian took over as the gm of the team as as opposed to the assistant to uh, brian murray that's when dave cameron was uh, was let go so i think i could be wrong (laughs) Interesting. So moving on to the next question, actually, I love this one from Brian Charbin. So he goes, is Pinto actually ready to be an impact centerman at the NHL level? And is white a legitimate option at two C? So these are really, this is two great questions when when we're looking at it. Um, I I mean, like the, the first one we'll get into, I want to know your thoughts, Derek, is Pinto ready to be an impact centerman at the NHL level? We can maybe define impact centerman. I, I think that that's, that's a big thing. I think like, is he going to make a difference every single night? Doesn't necessarily need to be on the score sheet, but is he going to make a difference every single night um, as even a third line center on this roster this year? Well, the interesting thing is that Pinto's seven points in 12 games. I know it's a really small uh, sample size. It actually projects out to 47 points. So um, if you look at point projections from last season, like it's not too far past. I think Brady Kachuk projects, he was the points leader, 36 points, projects at about 52 points over an 82-game regular season. So 47 points um, 
over 82 games, it's not so bad. I mean, it, it's a pretty good point projection. So if he can continue to um, sort of play at that same level, again, it was a small sample size. I think he could potentially be the number two C. I, I certainly see him as a better fit than Colin White. And I know I gave you my two cents on this the last time we th- we talked in that I thought maybe um, someone like uh, Nick Paul could potentially take on the center uh, number two center role if they don't go out and acquire one. But, uh, but Pinto, I mean, as long as he continues to play at the same sort of point projection and level that he was playing at last season, he could potentially be a number two guy. I don't think Colin White is a number two guy at all. Uh, I think he's definitely a number more of a number three, four guy. I'm going to be bold. I, I I'm feeling a little bold right now and I'm going to go out on a whim and I'm going to say that Colin White shows up this year in the number two C spot. And it, I, I could be completely wrong. I'm taking a massive risk saying this, but I think that if he plays on a line with Connor Brown, who looked dominant in parts of last year, and he plays on a line with Tim Stutzel, who's looking like he's, 0.001% body fat right now and ready to have a bit of a breakout year. I think he could excel. I think that in an insulated role playing with good players, he could do quite well. And I mean, we saw what he did when he played with Mark Stone. We, we've seen what he's capable of when he's playing with star players. And I think that a big issue with Colin White is his confidence. He lost his mojo. He's He's been in environments or situations where he gets thrown down the lineup, becomes a healthy scratch plays fourth line minutes. It's pretty hard to find that mojo when you're in that situation, but the team, it appears is saying that they're going to come out and give him a shot at two C it's looking like they see him as that possible guy. And it's kind of going to be like, Hey, give us, we're giving you one last chance to show that you were worth that contract that we gave you. Not that I think is that crazy of a contract if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. but, but we're kind of giving you one last shot um, to show that you can be a two C guy. What we believe you can be. And demonstrate that. And I mean, if you look at him from a prospect perspective, he came in extremely promising. He he looked extremely legitimate um, playing in Boston College, even his first little stint with Ottawa. And then he came on and played 71 games, and put up 41 points. And I mean, like that wasn't on a very good Ottawa Senators team. I know that he was playing with some exposure to some very good players. But I, nonetheless, I, I I think that this is a year where he at least raises his value a little bit. I don't know that he's a a second line center. I I don't know that that's necessarily what he is, but I think that he has the ability to play with those guys and to be able to, to put up some points and to play well defensively. And and I think that that was kind of what they renowned him as. And I I think that this is a year where he steps up and he's going to be a key piece. If this team can do well, they're, they're going to need him to, to look good in order to do well. As for Pinto, I feel like he's the kind of guy that put the points quietly. And when I remember kind of looking back and remembering that he put up seven points in 12 games, because I mean, I was watching him play, but it seemed like kind of every time he ended up on the score sheet, it was kind of quiet and you watch him on the ice and he was never out of position, but he also didn't really like dazzle you away with his skill. He wasn't blowing by guys, but he just seemed to play an incredibly responsible game. And he always kind of seems to be in the right place at the right time, even if he's not doing it in the quickest fashion. So I think that Pinto could definitely be an impact 3C. I I think that if he comes to camp ready for a job, and I honestly think he is going to because I think his competitiveness is just through the roof combined with his swagger. And he's also a guy that's looking 
pretty thick right now. I, I think he's coming in at around 200 pounds, six, three, like he's a big boy ready for the NHL. So I, I think that I think we're going to, I'm going to be happy with both these guys this year. So yes, I think Pinto is definitely ready to be an impact centerman in a three C insulated position where he's playing a bit of minutes a, a game. Um, but enough that he, he has the chance to kind of showcase himself. I don't know if he's going to be able to produce at that same clip that we saw last year on a points per game perspective. And I think that white could be a decent option at two C. I don't know if he's a legitimate two C. I don't know if, if he's going to be our second line center forever, but I think he's going to be able to hold his own. Yeah. And it, it might be, you know, a situation where, you know, white white's playing two C when he's hot and Pinto's playing two C when he's hot. And, it just sort of goes back and forth between those two guys. And maybe they do try something a little different, like I suggested with Paul. But um, but we'll see how that plays out. But certainly it would be a nice surprise if Colin White had a huge back ba- uh, bounce back season uh, this season coming. Uh, this next one from Codice, a, a bit of a controversial one. So, uh, so that's why I chose to ask the question and let you answer it first. <laughs> uh, how much control do you think Melnick Thank has you. over the financial decisions? Uh, more importantly, do you think Dorian's ability to resolve these RFAs is being hampered by the ownership's need to sign off on every contract? What do you think? Well, I mean, UG Melnick obviously has financial control. Like he, he definitely has control over these financial situations, but any owner has control over financial situations. That's not unique to Eugene Melnick. I think the yeah. difference is that it's been spoken about so much and it's so focused on in this market and maybe rightfully so with, with things that have happened in the past, I can see why fans continually continue to go back to it. But I will say that I think it has a limited uh, amount of control over Dorian's ability to resolve these RFA contracts. And the reason that I say that is I also feel like Dorian doesn't want to overpay a lot of these players because he realizes that, he doesn't want to go into cap trouble. It doesn't necessarily mean that he should like, if, if you had an owner that allowed you to just throw money carelessly, let's say Toronto, for instance, where, where <laughs> well, you're just like, literally, exactly. So, so, yeah. so let, like literally, yeah. let's say your owner is just, Hey, pay these guys, whatever it takes, make them happy. And I mean, your Kyle Dubas, your best friends with your star players, apparently, and you're writing them checks for $11.6 million. I don't think, that that bodes well for team success. I think that you look at teams that, I mean, are owned by great owners. Montreal is one of them. Um, I mean, at least they were for years until they kind of got locked into that carry price and Weber hell, but Boston, for instance, Boston is a, a perfect example. You, you look at these guys who are all kind of on team friendly deals and it's not because their owner's cheap. It's because they want to win and it's because their GM wants them to win. And they, they realize that, the best way of having a competitive team every year is having guys who are making competitive salaries. So, I mean, Melnick obviously does have control over financial decisions. And I mean, it's no secret that cap was shed and, and that we didn't, we were at the bottom of, of the cap hit for the last few years of the cap limit as we were rebuilding. And I mean, it made sense, but I I mean, now in the the coming time is kind of going to be the chance for Melnick to show fans that he means everything that he said and now that this team is ready he can be competitive now that Pierre Dorian has declared that the rebuild is over is Melnick's opportunity to to say like hey you you do what it takes to build a championship here and I think that Dorian the the I think that the reason that these RFA contracts are taking so long is because Dorian wants to ensure that 
he has enough money to be able to sign all of all of these upcoming promising prospects without going over the cap. I don't think it has anything to do or, with or limited amount of what it has to do with uh, Melnick, in my opinion. No, fair enough. And I think, you know, it's something that's still clearly at the forefront of people's minds and especially sort of right now with Kachuk's contract sort of hanging in limbo as we approach uh, training camp. Um, I think Dorian's came out and said he's quite confident that he can have him signed one way or another by training camp. Um, I think an eight by eight type contract, so an eight year term contract would probably uh, put people's minds at ease a lot more um, than say like a four, four year um, bridge contract, uh, for example. But uh, if the senators can make it happen, if it, you know, the, the one thing in my mind that could be holding things up is just the salary structure. Like I, I genuinely think Brady Kachuk wants to be an Ottawa Senator for eight years. I think the senators obviously want him for eight years, want to make him captain. I think both are true. I just don't know if they have the upfront um, funds to sort of, uh, structure the salary in a way that that makes them compete with some other teams that can. I think that's a piece of that uh, of the puzzle. And I think the other piece of the puzzle that was leaked is that Brady Kachuk wants to believe that the organization is going to be competitive and to build a team around him and to spend competitively with the rest of the teams at the top. So, so I think there's a, a few things that need to play themselves out first before we really can answer this question. But I, I really don't think it's a huge hindrance over the Kachuk RFA contract right now. Yeah, and one thing I do want to say, it, it, you brought up a really good point. And the one area where it might play a role in, in what's holding back some of these is, is limited signing bonuses. And I mean, like, there are some teams, like you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, and where, where players, 90% of their salary is in signing bonuses. And, and I mean, like, obviously, players are going to love to have deals like that. And I wouldn't be surprised if, Brady Kachuk and I mean like we know that he is fighting for what he's worth um is looking for a contract that uh, that's similar to that and I mean it, traditionally that's not something that the the team has handed out in the past so it, it might be playing a role in that but it, as much as how much Brady is going to make in total I I, I don't know if I would go as far as to say that um, th that's ownership's like full, full on decision. I, th I think that if this was in a different market, we'd probably be seeing something similar unless it was a team that's known to hand out quite high signing bonuses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so mo moving on, uh, Solomon Gursky, uh, this is a bit of an old one. Again, these questions were from a couple of weeks ago. So, um, so we already know how this thing plays out, but, uh, Drake Batherson and Farabee are very comparable but I don't see management giving Drake Batherson $5 million per year. I uh, would love to hear your take. So uh, you already know our takes on the Batherson uh, contract, but you know, basically they, they are paying him 5 million a year. So uh, a little bit lower. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a good comparable that he used in, in this uh, question though, because really Farabee produced, he outproduced Drake by a slim margin. So maybe he's worth a tiny bit more. He's also a little bit younger. Um, so maybe you're projecting him out uh, a little bit more in terms of his ceiling, but uh, it's a really good comparable. And I think they probably did use that salary structure to make their deal. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think it worked out like absolutely perfect. I think they're probably pretty close to a deal and they saw what Fairview signed for and they're like, all right, this is this is what we're looking at. I honestly thought that Drake was going to get slightly more just because it's a Canadian market. I don't know how Pennsylvania tax compares to Ottawa tax or to Ontario tax, but I would imagine that Ontario is a bit higher. So I was I was thinking that uh, he was actually going to end up 
looking for a little bit more than that, but I think that was a perfect comparable. And I mean, to have Drake locked up in that deal until he's 30 um, through his prime, I, I think that's incredible. I think both those players are, are on awesome deals and they're both great young stars. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, last couple of questions. Uh, one from Michael, and this is an interesting one. Uh, Brennan, a, a good debate question. Uh, who do you think gets more starts this season? Is it Gus or Forsberg? Forsberg currently holding down, obviously, the backup role in Ottawa. Uh, what do you think? This is a great question. It is. Like, it, it really is. Um, I, I'm going to go with Gus. And this is kind of my, my reasoning yeah. for it, is that I would not be surprised if Forsberg gets flipped. I wonder if they're kind of waiting to see if Gus is consistent enough to kind of be ready to play in, in some full NHL kind of rules again. I, I think that, I mean, we saw what happened with Forsberg previously or ended up on waivers and he looked really solid in Ottawa last year. So it was hard to not kind of give him a contract when honestly, he's probably playing better than Matt Murray for the bulk of the season, aside from when Matt Murray got hot. Um, but I, I think that Forsberg wouldn't be difficult to move if, if they're looking to shop him and, I think that the the big reason here is that there's a lot of goalies who are ready to play in Belleville. Like you look at Mad Sogard and he could be ready to be a full on starter there. And Mandelisi probably isn't far away. I know he lost Dak, which sucks, but I think that Gus is, is ready for the NHL. I think he showed it last year. And I don't think that that was a flash in the pan. I think his technique is so impressive. He just looks so calm and he just always looks like his angles are right on. So uh, I, I think that Gus, at the end of the day, I'm getting more starts for Ottawa this season because Forsberg might go somewhere and be, be a legitimate backup. But I think that they're both great two C's, and I think that it's going to be really close, however it works out. Yeah, I had the exact same answer as you for pretty much the exact same reasons. I, I do think Sogard is a guy that they really want to develop, um, and he's not going to see a lot of time if Gus is in uh, Belleville manning the crease there. So I think Sogard is the the big piece of the puzzle in this and I think when they did sign Forsberg I, I think they were a little more unsure and then of course Gus started to play phenomenally and it forced their hand to move on from Decord um, but there's a lot of goalies in the system I mean Levi's another one um, so there's a lot of goaltenders in this in the Ottawa system right now uh, Gustafson for me I, I do think he's going to get more starts for the same reason like I, I can see them moving on from Forsberg maybe uh, through the first little while of the season, someone will be looking for a solid backup goalie. And Forsberg proved, I think, last year, everywhere that he went, really, I mean, he's bounced around so many teams. But uh, the poor guy might be bouncing around more because he's only on a one-year contract and there's no way that he's here next season. So, uh, you know, it sucks too because he finally got those all. Year those Ottawa Senators pads and everything worked out for him. And now he yeah, might just be getting packed off again. Pads. Yeah, he doesn't have to wear the Colorado gear, whatever he had on. I think it was Coming Winnipeg. Was, I don't, yeah. yeah was, I, oh, yeah, Winnipeg. Yeah, it yeah. was blue gear. It looked awful. <laughs> and now he's got his his Ottawa set. Um, this is the final question, Brennan. Uh, almost perfect timing. Um, who do you think, and, and this one, yeah, it'll probably take us this time. Uh, who do you think could be a couple of teams who could realistically trade for Jack Eichel? It's a great question. Um, I mean, I know that I think one of them is the Ottawa Senators. I think that we definitely have the assets available and I know that we have the cap space to be able to do it. Whether we want to part ways with the specific assets that Buffalo would want is a bit of a bigger question. I think that it would kind of have to be a quantity over quality kind of trade, something similar to what we got for Eric Carlson 
um, in, in that kind of situation, which actually turned out to be a lot of good quality, which uh, we're, we're definitely not complaining about. But at the time, at least, it, that's kind of what I felt it looked like. So I think that it, it could be something similar to that. Hopefully we don't end up giving up uh, a lottery pick and a, a prospect as talented as Josh Norris. But uh, I think that Ottawa could definitely be a realistic option. I think that Minnesota is a realistic option. I think that they got some sneaky good prospects. And I also don't think they're that far away from winning. I think that they would like to get a legitimate number one C option for Kaprizov to play with. And I think that they see Jack Eichel as a great suitor for that. So I think that he could be a legitimate option. Um, I know that there was a few other teams that have been thrown around. I know Calgary apparently is out, but, but was previously in, I know that the New York Rangers seem to be really in on them and LA has been mentioned a few times as well. But I, I think if I were to pick three, I, I think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Ottawa just because I, I, I Eichel Truther, it's the jersey sitting behind me. I'm just ready for it to change mm-hmm. colors. And uh, and then I'm going to go Minnesota, I think could be really realistic. And the last one is New York just because uh, Chris Drury is there. I would be surprised if he wants to make a big bang on that market. And um, I don't know how they would do it. Like I almost feel like they would have to find a way to move out Truba's salary. But they, they've got a lot of talent there too. And I mean, they could part ways with the way of like a, a Capo Caco or a Alexi Lafreniere, honestly even if they wanted to so that that's uh those are the teams i'm going to go with yeah absolutely um i'm with you at the question it's really two parts and you you touched on both of them it's about uh who has the assets to make it happen who has the cap space um actually three parts and and who's sort of on the cusp of being competitive that feel like if we're adding jack eichel to our team that's the player that's going to take us to the next level and yeah you could definitely make a case for the Senators in all three of those categories. Ottawa definitely has the cap space, definitely have the act, the assets to make a trade like that happen. And Jack Eichel coming to the Sens would realistically um, probably project them to be a playoff team as early as next season. Um, but my r- most realistic option, and you mentioned them, the New York Rangers. Um, I know the the cap situation is interesting, so that's the one question mark but I think there's some funky things that we've seen GMs in the past do and I think they could ultimately they can make it happen I know you know Ottawa was rumored to be in on Strom and and that's a a player alone that you know if they're moving on from to a different team and then also acquiring Eichel but moving salary in the Eichel deal as well that can amount to that 10 million dollar salary that Eichel will be paid he's also going to be injured through um, probably to about January or February. So he won't be available available to play right away. So it's not going to count on your cap right away. So they'll have some time to, to make something happen if they need to. Um, but the Rangers, for me, because they're sort of on the cusp of being a really competitive team, um, they're honestly the most realistic team. They've been rumored from the get-go to be involved in the Eichel trade. Um, and I could see them paying the most because they do have a player like Capo Caco that you mentioned that, you know, could potentially be that big piece and, and that bigger name player uh, coming back to Buffalo. And, and hopefully it's a player that works out for them because I know uh, Capo certainly struggled in his rookie season, but really struggles away from the puck at times. Uh, he made some some leaps and bounds last season, but uh, but if that's the the big piece coming back in the Eichel trade, you better hope that uh, that he takes a big step forward. Yeah, well, that's just it. I mean, I think that having a big name like that is is potentially something that 
Buffalo is looking for. I think that they really do kind of want that blue chip prospect at least, um, or, or young player. And, and I think that there's a lot of other things that, uh, Buffalo could do that would make it interesting. And Sabinajad could even honestly maybe be in on that. Or if they hold him, they could, like you said, they could find a way to flip Ryan Strom and be able to create some cap space. So um, now before we we head out, there was one question I wanted to ask you, and this was off the script, but I'm curious of your thoughts of the possibility of Fabian Lysel playing with highly touted, I, I would say, or at least for myself, someone that I'm really looking forward to watching this season, Ottawa Senators prospect, Zach Ostopchuk. So um, there's, there's serious uh, considerations that he's going to end up going to the WHL and, and playing with, with the giants um, who have his rights. And it, it's looking like that could quite possibly be the line that he plays on where Ostopchuk is his centerman. So I'm just curious how many games you would watch there and if, how important you think that could be for a guy like Ostopchuk's development. Yeah, a lot. I like how you tied that in with the Sens. I mean, obviously we had Fabian Liesel on our show and we were both huge fans of uh, of him as a as a prospect. You know, he was one of our favorites coming into uh, to the draft last season and he was obviously there for the taking for the Senders, but he fell all the way down to like 21 or whatever where Boston took him. Uh, I, yeah, I didn't actually know that uh, that, that was the case with Liesel. I haven't really kept up with it, so... A bit of a surprise question, but I love it. Uh, I think it can really benefit a guy like Ostopchuk, who I do believe is going to get a bigger role this year on that team. So um, if he's playing a bigger role and he's playing with a guy like Liesel, I mean, Liesel's a, a phenomenal player. He's a phenomenal playmaker and he can make everyone around him better. So uh, I would almost caution people uh, then looking at Ostopchuk's numbers at the end of the season and saying that they're probably a little bit inflated because he was playing on a line with Fabian Liesel, and that guy is, honest to God, I think he's going to be a phenomenal NHL player. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And when I saw that news, I was smiling and I was definitely ready to work it in somewhere here because I want to hear your opinion of it. But another thing I want to add is uh, I think that it, it might be a, a really awesome choice for uh, Liesel to to move away from playing in, in Sweden. We we know about some of the issues he had last year and kind of to give him a chance to really establish himself on North American ice and kind of have a fresh start, honestly, and show what he can do in, 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 on an ice surface that I think is going to be extremely transitional. And I know that we both believe that Boston probably got the biggest deal to draft there. I think Minnesota was a close second when Wallstead dropped to them, but I definitely... Uh, I definitely am excited to watch him if that's the way it works out. I think I was going to watch Giants games regardless to to see a stop trip just because I, I think that he's a very intriguing prospect and I'm really curious to see what he does and uh, how how much he breaks out because it's looking like even in their kind of preseason action that they've been having or inner squad games, he's looking extremely dominant and it looks like he, he's really ready to kind of take that leap. And if we get to watch a, a player like Lee Sell, I mean, he's so much fun to watch. So to have that opportunity to watch both of them, well, that, that would be phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. You could kill two birds with one stone watching two players like that. And, you know, one of them, it's a little bit bittersweet that he's a Boston uh, prospect. I think it's probably their best prospect in a long time because um, Boston, you know, at the draft, they've they've made some questionable moves. Let's say, to say the least, you can uh, look back to the Thomas Shabbat draft if you need evidence of that. But uh, but yeah, I, I think he's a really highly touted prospect. And I think Ostopchak, to your point, really, really good player. Um, probably my favorite um, out of the draft to to really surprise people. Um, early on now, now we have to see what the season looks like, but I know he's going to get a much uh, bigger role, like you mentioned, 
So he'll be worth uh, checking out for Sens fans. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, we want to thank everyone for tuning in and uh, thank you everyone for submitting your questions as well. These are all fantastic questions and um, we love that some of them are controversial. We love that they kind of cover everything to do with Ottawa. And um, as always, we, we appreciate your support. We appreciate you listening and we wish you nothing but the best as the season continues to eke a little bit closer. We're going to have some awesome, awesome content for you. We're super excited with some of the the guys, the people that we're bringing in as guests leading up to the to the um, season start. Your thoughts on that, Derek? Do you, do you think that we're going to live up to the hype there? Absolutely. I think um, you know one in particular is uh, is going to be a returning guest, and that's all I'll say on that. But uh, we're looking forward to that.